For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, the Elijah message. This is part five of the series. The first council of Nicaea held in Nicaea in Bithynia, which is present-day Turkey, convoked by the Roman Emperor Constantine I in 325, was the first ecumenical conference of bishops of the Christian church and most significantly resulted in the first uniform Christian doctrine called the Nicaean Creed. The council decided in favor of celebrating the resurrection on the first Sunday after the first full moon following the vernal equinox, independently of the Bible's Hebrew calendar. And authorized the Bishop of Alexandria to announce annually the exact date to his fellow bishops when Easter would be celebrated. Once again, from the Wikipedia Encyclopedia, quoting from the Anti-Nicene or before the Nicene Church Fathers, we are told that Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, that he kept Passover and Sabbath, as it is written. Polycarp, a disciple of John, adhered to a Nisan 14, which is biblical Passover, Irenaeus, who observed the first Sunday rule, notes of Polycarp, one of the bishops of Asia Minor, for Anicetus could not persuade Polycarp to forego the observance of his Nisan 14 or Passover practice, insomuch as these things had always been observed by John, the disciple of the Lord, and by the other apostles with whom he had been and had conversations with. Irenaeus notes that this was not only Polycarp's practice, but that this was the practice of John the disciple and the other apostles that Polycarp knew. What are we being told? That John and the apostles and the disciple of John, Polycarp, they kept Passover. It was the first council of Nicaea that it was declared that Christians don't follow Passover anymore, that they follow Easter, and that this tradition has been brought down for 1700 years as the way to express faith in Jesus as the Messiah. However, John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 and verse 6, regarding expressing faith in Jesus as the Messiah, hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandment. What commandment? The Torah. He that says, I know him. He that says, I know Jesus and doesn't keep his commandments, doesn't follow Torah, is a liar and the truth is not in him. He that says he abides in him. He that says he's a believer and a follower of Jesus ought himself to walk 
even as he or Jesus walked. So how did Jesus walk or live his life? Because he that abides in him ought to walk as he walked. Well, Jesus kept Sabbath. Jesus kept Passover. Let's look at the source of December 25th, which is celebrated as Jesus' birthday. From the Wikipedia Encyclopedia, it is explained to us that December 25th, historically, was the birthday of the sun god. Christmas is an annual holiday that marks the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. The word Christmas is a contraction meaning Christ's Mass. The Romans held a festival on December 25th called Dies Natalis Solus Invicti, meaning the birthday of the unconquered sun. The use of the title Sol Invictus allowed several solar deities or gods to be worshipped collectively, including Elagabal, a Syrian sun god, Sol, the god of Emperor Aurelian, and Mithras and Mithras. So these practices of the religion of the Roman Empire, of which the main religion was sun worship, got incorporated into Christianity at the expense of the Torah. There is a prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 19, about the end of days, which says, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction. What period of time is the day of affliction? It's the tribulation. So in the end of days, in tribulation times, it says, the Gentiles will come unto you from the end of the earth and shall say, surely our fathers have inherited lies. So what are some of the lies that Christianity has inherited from our fathers? Going back to Constantine, Sunday worship, Christmas, and Easter. The second reason why the Elijah message is rejected, the first being religious tradition, the second is not knowing who Jesus is. We're told in James chapter 4 verse 12 that there is one lawgiver who is able to save. Who is that one lawgiver who's able to save? It's Jesus. So the reason why we accept the words, well, we're not to follow the law, is because we don't know that Jesus is the lawgiver. You know what I would like to believe why the majority of Christianity expresses their faith the way they do? Religious tradition and not knowing who Jesus is and and it's being done out of ignorance. That's what I would like to believe, and that's what I predominantly believe. It is done out of ignorance. If it is being done out of ignorance, which once again I believe for the most part is the case with the majority of people, then when the truth is presented to them, then the people of the God of Israel should love the truth enough to want to follow the truth. And I see great many who when they hear the truth, they receive the truth and they want to walk in the truth. And the God of Israel winks at our ignorance. But it says in the book of Acts there's coming a time when he won't wink at our ignorance anymore. And that time has arrived with the message in the ministry of Elijah in the end of days. For those who hear the truth, but their hearts resist the truth, then that follows under the classification of the spirit of Jezebel or rebellion. And not knowing who Jesus is, most Christians don't associate Jesus with giving the law at Mount Sinai. Most Christians don't associate Jesus with the one creating the heavens and the earth. 
earth. Often we go to Genesis to say, when God created the heavens and the earth, in our minds when we say God, we mean God the Father. Well, God the Father willed it, but Jesus spoke it. But he's one with his Father, and he does what his Father wills him to do. Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breadth of his mouth. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, we're told explicitly that Jesus is the one that created the heavens and the earth. He's the image of the invisible God, that is God the Father, the firstborn of every creature. For by him, that is Jesus, were all things created, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. If you realize that we're told explicitly in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, that Jesus created the heavens and the earth, we are then told in Exodus chapter 31, verse 13 and 17, that you are to keep the Sabbath, that is the seventh day Sabbath of creation, because of the one, or to honor the one who created the heavens and the earth. Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath you shall keep. It is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. It is a sign, that is, the Sabbath is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. John told us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, he who abides in him ought to walk as he walked. How did Jesus walk or live his life? He kept the Sabbath. Luke chapter 4, verse 14, and Jesus, continuing in verse 15, taught in their synagogues being glorified of all. Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, which means he did it on a regular basis. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Luke chapter 4, verse 31. And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he taught them on the Sabbath days. Next, we need to understand that the biblical festivals are festivals of Yahweh. And in recognizing this, we need to understand who is Yahweh that these festivals are unto. Leviticus chapter 23 verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, concerning the feasts of Yahweh, does it say the feasts of the Jews, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. The festivals are the feasts of Yahweh. But who is Yahweh? Yeshua or Jesus is Yahweh. Traditionally, most often when we read the word Yahweh or Lord in the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, we read in our minds that this is referring to God the Father. However, the festivals in Leviticus 23 are fulfilled by Jesus the Messiah and not by the Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, we're told that Jesus is Lord or Yahweh. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord or Jesus is Yahweh. No one can say that he's Yahweh. No one can say that he is God but by the Holy Spirit. We can see in Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 that Jesus is Yahweh as it is written. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him an name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, confess that he is Yahweh, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, 
These are festivals of Yahweh. And who is Yahweh? Jesus is Yahweh. These are his feasts, which he proclaimed his people that believe on him to celebrate. Jesus not only kept the biblical Sabbath, but he also kept Passover up even to the moment that he died on the cross. Because we're told in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 and 15, and when his hour was come, that is to die on the cross, he sat down in the 12 apostles with him and he said, with desire, have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. What is reason number one why the Elijah message isn't received? Religious tradition. Reason number two, not knowing who Jesus is. And both of those reasons can be reasons of ignorance, but the third one is not. The third one is the spirit of Jezebel or the spirit of rebellion. And the spirit of Jezebel opposes the Elijah message. In 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30, it says, And Ahab, verse 31, took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal. Ethbaal is the Strong's number 856, and it means in Hebrew, with Baal. So Jezebel is the daughter of with Baal. Jezebel is with Baal. Jezebel is with mixed worship. So when the Elijah message is heard by one that has the spirit of Jezebel, they will reject the message. And they will try to say, don't listen to that message because what did Jezebel do? First Kings chapter 18 verse 4. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord. Who did Jezebel have a confrontation with? Elijah. What was Elijah's message? Don't follow after mixed worship. Follow after Torah. What does Jezebel do? Cuts off, cuts off Elijah or cuts off his message because she is with Baal. So the spirit of Jezebel says, don't follow Torah. The spirit of Jezebel says, no, we're not under the law. Don't follow the law. Don't listen to those that proclaim we should. Now, Jesus, once again, we need to be reminded that he is the Holy One of Israel. We looked at these scriptures earlier. Psalm chapter 16, verse 10. For you will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Psalm 16, verse 10 is quoted in Acts chapter 2, verse 27, regarding verse 32, the resurrection of Jesus, as it is written. Because you will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Realizing that Jesus is referred to as the Holy One, or the Holy One of Israel, we were now going to look at Isaiah in chapter 30, and in verse 12, it's the Holy One of Israel who is speaking. That is Jesus the Messiah. And in verse 8, the Holy One of Israel tells Isaiah to write something in a book that the King James says is for the time to come. But we're going to look at that in the Hebrew and we're going to understand that in the Hebrew it says that it will be for the final generation. So this is something that Jesus has to say for the final generation or the generation that's alive who will see his second coming. The generation that will hear the Elijah message. In Isaiah chapter 30 verse 8 it is written, Now go write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may 
may be for the time to come is what the King James says. The word time is the Strong's number 3117. It's the Hebrew word yom, which means day or a period of time. The word to come is the Strong's number 314. It's the Hebrew word akaron, which means later or latter or last of time. Therefore, in the Hebrew, this could be rendered, write it in a book that it will be for the last days, the end of days, or the final generation. What is it that Jesus has to say to the generation that will see his coming? Isaiah chapter 30, verses 9 and 10, it is written that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the Torah of the Lord, which say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. What's the right thing that a prophet prophesies of? You need to follow Torah, and this is where you're not following Torah. Don't have a prophet come to proclaim those things. Prophesy unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Tell us that we're going to be rich and we don't need to follow Torah. Tell us that we're going to escape judgment and we're going to be raptured away in the pre-tribulation rapture. Tell us that we don't have to follow the law. The Elijah message prepares for the end of the exile of the 12 tribes. I mentioned at the beginning of this teaching that the God of Israel laid out history according to his relationship with his people. And his people broke the covenant at Mount Sinai that Jesus made with the nation of Israel. Therefore, he exiled them out into the nations of the world. While they'll be in exile in the nations of the world and being punished for breaking his commandments, Jesus allows Gentile nations to rule over the world and rule over his people. We see that capsulized in the book of Daniel, why Daniel's vision of the head of gold, Babylon, going down to the ten toes. The ten toes represents the reigning beast system of the end of days. The Gentile nations of the world are only given the duration of time of the nations of Israel's judgment to rule and reign in the earth. When the judgment of his people, when that time frame is over, the nations of the world will be judged and will fall. He will gather his people from exile and set up a kingdom and rule and reign with them. That transition time is what we call the tribulation. Elijah's message is a message of preparing for the coming of the Messiah by showing the people where they need to be doing what Messiah wants which is to follow Torah, to do away with mixed worship, and that prepares you for Messiah's coming and the ingathering of the exiles, the end of the exile of the house of Jacob, which is for the people in the family of Jesus the Messiah. He redeems his family. Therefore, when we're talking about gathering the exiles, we're talking about gathering those who are part of the family of Jesus the Messiah. Remember, Jesus has a literal house of Jacob and the redeemed house of Jacob. And the prayer that Jesus said to pray was pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven represents the spiritual world. Earth represents the physical world. So therefore there's a time coming when the physical world and the spiritual world will be in unison with each other. We have a physical literal house of Jacob. We have a redeemed house of Jacob. And in the redemption and the end of the exile of the 12 tribes, the physical and the literal become one and the same thing. Therefore, remember the new covenant
covenant was made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and all those who are part of that new covenant are grafted in. So when we're talking about gathering the exiles of Israel, we're talking about believers in Jesus as the Messiah being gathered and ending their exile because the Bible tells us the home of the people of the God of Israel is the land of Israel because that is the land that was promised Abraham by Jesus the Messiah. Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 and verse 29. Now let's see how in 1 Kings chapter 18 verses 30 and 31 that the Elijah message prepares for the end of the exile of the 12 tribes. Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And the King James says he repaired the altar of the Lord. The altar of the Lord is going to personify or represent the return to Torah. And it says he repaired the altar. The word for repair is the Strong's number 7495. It's the Hebrew word Rapha, which means to heal. You heard Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. What it literally says is he healed the altar. Now, how can you heal an altar? It is speaking of a return to Torah or a restoration of Torah. So we have the restoration of Torah, which is associated with the gathering of the 12 tribes of Israel because as soon as he repaired the altar, healed the altar, it says Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. In the book, The Messiah Texts by Raphael Patai on page 144, he explains from looking at the Hebrew text and the rabbi's understanding that Elijah will come and announce to the house of Jacob that the exile is over. Everywhere in the Bible, the name of Jacob is spelled without the letter Vav, except for five places. And everywhere, the name of Elijah is spelled with the Hebrew letter Vav, except for five places. Why? To teach you that Elijah will come and redeem the seed of Jacob and to announce the redemption of the world to his children. The Elijah message that is also found in Isaiah chapter 40 is comfort my people. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, says your God. Verse 3. The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Behold, the Lord will come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work. What's the work of the Messiah? To gather the exiles of Israel is before him. He, that is the Messiah, will feed his flock, that is the redeemed nation of Israel, like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. The message of Elijah, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. But what is the comfort of his people? It's the end of the exile. How is that the comfort of his people? Because the end of the exile means the Gentile nations are no longer ruling over the world and over the people of the God of Israel. It means Messiah has come, redeemed his people, and set up his kingdom. That's our comfort. Jeremiah 31, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, all ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off and say, He that scattered Israel. Who scattered Israel? Jesus the Messiah. Why? Because they broke his commandments that he gave at Mount Sinai. We'll gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. Jeremiah 31, verse 13. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, both young men and old together, for I will turn their mourning, that is exile, into joy, that is the end of the exile, and I will comfort them and make them rejoice from their sorrow. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 16 and 17. 
weeping. Thus says the Lord, Refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your end, says the Lord, that your children will come again to their own border. Well, that's going to conclude part five of the series on the subject, the Elijah message. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.